0: Hello, this is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the DOT Esports Podcast Network. I'm Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide. Last week saw the conclusion of the first ever Valorant Champions Tour, or VCT. European Team Ascend took home the gold and a hefty $350,000 prize as well. They beat Gambit Esports 3-2. The third-slash-fourth place spot was given to Team Liquid and Crew Esports. Teams were also paid 50% of net proceeds from skin sales, with the total sales coming out to $7.5 million. It marks a fantastic year for Valorant, an esport that came into prominence during the pandemic. Viewership during VCT saw a peak of 811000 an exponential rise to events that had taken place earlier in the year. Joining me today to talk about VCT and Valorant's first year as an esport is .esports' Jalen Lopez. Jalen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So Jalen, give us a bit of a recap to the tournament as a whole. For viewers that weren't able to tune in, what are the main takeaways?
1: Yeah, so after a year of competition and regional events, we saw the top 16 teams compete for the champion title. Uh, each region went head-to-head in an intense group play, and we saw a European dominance in the playoffs as all four teams made it. And also a few storylines come through with uh, some of the smaller regions knocking out some of the top teams. And it ultimately ended up with an Ascend victory and Gambit coming in second place. But it was still a great first year and showed how every region kind of has a top team that's capable of taking on the best teams.
0: Hmm. What were some of those storylines that will probably get a documentary made from their respective organizations?
1: (laughs) I think one of the biggest ones was Sentinel's disappointing finish in group play. They were the North American juggernauts that dominated the Valorant scene for the better part of the entire year. They had two Master Events wins under their belts, and they were one of the favorites coming into the event. And surprisingly, they fell to uh, first Team Liquid and then Crew Esports that sent them home for the season. So unexpected win from Crew and disappointing finish for North American fans everywhere.
0: What happened with Sentinels? Why do you think the team fell apart?
1: That's a good question. Their first game was against Team Liquid, who is easily one of the best European teams. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a back and forth affair. They went to map three, and ultimately Team Liquid just dominated on offense, and that's final half. And then in their last match of the event, third map came down to that where their star player Tins, I believe, finished 9-20. and 20, And he was the explosive power that usually takes care of all of the just raw skill that helps them stay above the competition. And that wasn't there this time and ultimately results in their loss.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the main uh, storylines, I guess, regarding Sentinels, at least earlier in the year, was the suspension of Sinatra following allegations of um, sexual misconduct between he and his girlfriend. I, but it ultimately, it seems that the team was able to recover relatively well following uh, what happened. I mean, what what do you make of the team and its performance throughout the year?
1: I think... Their recovery after losing to Natura, uh days before one of the biggest tournaments in North America, was incredible. Tins was a huge asset to the team. He came in and immediately just made himself a valuable asset. And from there, it really was just a Tens show in North America as Senna was just clean house. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't go all the way and bring home a champion title for North America. But the fact that they still did as well as they did shouldn't be overlooked, and I don't think... We'll see any major changes to the roster next year. I think there's still a lot in the pipeline for them.
0: Hmm. Has Sinatra spoken much about um, what had taken place and you know how he's moving forward with this team?
1: I don't believe he's officially confirmed if he'll form- moving forward with Sentinels. Hmm. Uh, he has tweeted a few cryptic things talking about competing uh, next season, and a few reports have come out saying a few top NA organizations are looking into putting him on the roster. So I think we'll see Sinatra on the team soon. I don't think he'll be with some but I think he'll be around the scene for a while longer.
0: Mm-hmm. So overall, he's still seen as a very, I guess, hot commodity, uh, regardless of maybe earlier news.
1: I believe so. Uh, unfortunately, it is kind of a controversial topic. Uh, one side is very much against him coming back because of the allegations and mm-hmm. the circumstances earlier this year. But On the other hand, he's still an incredible player, and some teams are willing to add them to the roster despite that, I guess, baggage that comes along with them.
0: You know, explain to me the tournament format. uh, I mean, not just, you know, group stage going to semis, going to, you know, finals and whatnot, but the actual event itself because we're still in a pandemic and there's still a lot of, you know, hand-wringing about putting people, a bunch of people in the same room together. So exactly how did Riot Games organize this event?
1: So it actually worked out well and there were actually a few... Uh, positive test for COVID at the event. Hmm. Both teams were supposed to compete on stage with no crowd, just them and the uh, on-air talent. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, that actually uh, was the case. But in some scenarios, like with Team Liquid, uh, Nevera tested positive, so he competed with the team from a separate practice room. So he was separated, but they still played on a local area network. And I believe another player on Envy had the same issue. So there was these safeguards built into the actual event that took into account the possibility of a uh, positive testing for COVID. And it actually worked out pretty well, surprisingly. The, most players commented on that whole situation and said it was still a competitive environment and they weren't too upset with how it turned out.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the players that did pe- test positive, uh, did they have any kind of lingering effects or was it largely asymptomatic?
1: for the most part it was asymptomatic i believe nevera had COVID a few weeks prior and he still tested positive on a uh, rapid test Mm -hmm. so he was essentially asymptomatic just couldn't expose anyone else to the uh, virus and i think that was the case overall no one really uh blamed any COVID symptoms for lack of performance or any other impact on their game
0: Mm -hmm. but you know pushing i guess some players off into separate rooms to play you know via you know a land connection did that cause any technical issues throughout the events?
1: Not necessarily. I don't believe COVID was or the separate rooms caused any technical issues. Mm-hmm. There definitely is that impact on just the performance of the team. I know uh, Scream, who is Avera's brother on Team Liquid, mentioned having the on uh, onstage uh, boost when he finally got to join his team in a uh, local area with them. So it didn't necessarily cause technical problems but still impacted the team's overall performance having to deal with that issue.
0: Mm -hmm. Were there any other technical challenges that um, affected play?
1: There were a few. I think the biggest one was a tech pause during the match between Furia and Sentinels at 12-10. It was match point for Furia. And unfortunately that tech pause uh, postponed the game by about 15 minutes. So essentially took the momentum away from the Brazilian team. And after that tech pause resumed, Sendos came back and won the match. So that was a very controversial decision. As many people think, they essentially iced the Brazilian team. And it kind of just potentially changed out the outcome of that group play and the rest of the tournament.
0: I mean, did the, did the team at all protest?
1: I believe so. I don't think anything actually came of it. Essentially, the entire region was up in arms about it, as they should have been, because that's a significant thing especially when they're at match point about to take a group play win so despite protests from fans and players alike nothing really changed from it
0: and did did we learn the cause for that tech pause
1: i don't believe it was officially revealed if i'm not mistaken i know shazam the in-game leader for Sentinels, commented about something with a mouse or other hardware issue mm-hmm. and that was the overall uh problem that prevented the play from continuing
0: okay well, you know, how drastically has the metagame developed uh, for Valorant since the game's, uh, ha- game has launched? I mean, is Riot Games falling into the same trap that it does in League of Legends, where it's constantly updating the game and kind of throwing players for a loop uh, every two weeks?
1: I would say the meta has continu- continued to change since the launch. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as often as League of Legends. Uh, usually what happens is the meta shifts with the new agent, but that typically... Happens about every two or three months. Uh, players will typically use new agent in scrims and practices. And then once they actually figure out how to use them effectively, they'll throw them into their lineups. Uh, for example, KO, one of the newest agents, uh, saw an increase in usage at Berlin and Champs. I think it was only 16%, but it still was a significant change. So that's kind of the pattern. Is teams will change their composition as needed with new maps or agents. And it will keep the game fresh and continually causing them to continue to evolve. But I don't think it's as drastic as like a Legends can be.
0: Mm. Uh, Like in Overwatch League, is there like a prominent strategy that's just kind of overtaking the entire meta? Or is there a large diversity of play, especially during VCT?
1: Surprisingly, there's a rather healthy diversity of play. There isn't really a set composition for teams as far as agents. You'll see usually at least one of each agent uh, just cover all bases, but some teams have uh, resorts of one duelist, two duelists, kind of match their playstyle on the specific map. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to see one composition dominate the gameplay. I think we're going to see continue a mix of just uh, agents that work well for the teams themselves.
0: <laughs> you know, a lot of the talents that came into Valorant were from Counter-Strike, and I guess... As you know, somebody who's maybe a bit more of an outsider to the Valorant scene, it's not too surprising that Europe was pretty dominant throughout VCT. uh Do you think that's a fair assessment, or do you think that um, overall competition between all regions is still relatively high?
1: I do think there's a clear dominance from the EU region, but I think the results do show that every region is capable of becoming the top team in the world. Hmm. Uh, the playoffs had a nice mix from each region, even though there was four European teams but i don't think europe will stay the dominant force uh for the foreseeable future i think other teams from other regions are right up there with them and i think that's a good thing because i don't want to see a european dominant esport i want to see you know these stories of underdog teams coming from the smaller regions and actually putting up a fight
0: Mm -hmm. you know i remember when uh valorant first launched you know it was just pretty much every streamer and influencer was playing the game on Twitch and it was just getting massive numbers in terms of viewership. You know, Valorant doesn't play or doesn't bring in that type of uh, viewers on Twitch in the same way, just because of how the the website kind of moves like from one game to the next. But 811,000 uh, for peak viewership is still really high. I mean, what do you make of that type of viewership for this type of event? And what does that mean for Valorant going into 2022?
1: I think it's a healthy sign. That's a significant amount of people tuning into the finals. Mm-hmm. I know there was a few uh, record-breaking games earlier in group play, and I think there is a healthy viewership of fans that want to tune into the best teams going at it. And I think with 2022, they've already announced a few exciting changes to regional updates to kind of help promote those, uh, I guess, local pride for your region's team, and mm-hmm. then that will follow through to international tournaments. So I think that's a great first year, and I'd be very surprised it doesn't continue to grow.
0: I mean, you know, while we're recording the uh, current, or I guess the current player count on Valorant is 167, so 167,000. So clearly, there's, uh, based on the number of people who are you know playing on average, um, and the number of people who are tuning in, that's it. Seems like it's a very high percentage. Um, is, would you agree with that statement?
1: I agree. I think most people that tune in also play the game, mm-hmm. so I think there's definitely
0: a connection there. Um, do you have any indication of what percentage we're looking at in terms of people who actively play the game and who tune in? Is it maybe like 1% or is it
1: 10%? I don't have an exact figure for you, mm-hmm. but I'd be surprised if it was as low as 10%. Everyone I know in the community that follows Valorant also plays the game. So I think it's there's a clear connection to people who enjoy the competitive drive of the game itself and watch the best of the best compete in a tournament.
0: Has there been any indication from Riot in trying to expand uh, Valorant outside of PC, uh, I mean, while PC is obviously a great platform and it's of led into Counter Strike, there's still kind of this market for uh, people who kind of only play on console or who are only exposed to games on on console. Um, and it being a first person shooter, I feel that it possibly could translate. Um, or is is Riot still wanting to just keep it every keep everything in the PC realm?
1: So surprisingly, the answer might be yes uh leaks earlier this year or at the end of twenty twenty showed code that referenced Valorant coming to console. Hmm. Now it was very uh just a vague reference to console gaming for Valorant. I don't think we'll see that anytime soon, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's already the idea for that there from Riot Games. And I think it will
0: make the jump eventually,
1: but I think it's gonna be the PC world for uh for the uh foreseeable future.
0: Hmm. And then lastly, do you see any major predictions for 2022 in terms of maybe teams coming up, players coming up, uh, rookies coming up?
1: The latest news from Riot, they're going to do regional tournaments and leagues in Europe. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of younger talent come through those lower leagues and jump into the actual professional teams. And I think that same structure will jump across to other regions. So I think in about either next year or the next couple of years, we're going to see just a lot of fresh faces and it's not going to be dominated by these pros from other games like Overwatch or uh, CSGO. So I think we're going to see just a fresh league of raw talent coming up through the ranks.
0: Hmm. Uh, are there are there any rookies that uh, you know, you're keeping an eye on?
1: Not as far as amateurs. There are a few young players on teams right now, like mm-hmm. Tins and Lee from North America, who I think still have that, uh, raw talent are young enough to continue to improve. and I think we'll see names like that to uh, continue to grow for the next few years.
0: Well, very cool. I guess I'm looking forward to the 2022 season in Valorant. Uh, Jalen, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the .esports podcast network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to ftwahmad.com. To follow Jalen and the latest in Valorant, you can follow him at Jalen underscore Lopez underscore on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Imad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Enrique Damore and Jacob Wolf. The show's executive producer is Kevin Morris. Our research assistant is Sam Higgins. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week.